Welcome to the Transform Podcast. My name is Andrew Farhat. I am the lead pastor of St. John's Church and School in Denver, Colorado, right across the street from Wash Park. And in this podcast, what we do is we consider what it looks like to follow Jesus. We consider what it looks like uh, to be committed to a Christ-centered worldview and operate with that as our lifestyle. This podcast is for you if you are seeking what that might look like or if you have already committed your life to Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Transform Podcast. Uh, My name is Pastor Andrew Farhat. I'm so happy that you're listening today. I think PJ and I, who is my guest today, we have a a passion for making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so everything you hear on this podcast is going to be generally directed towards that goal, towards that end, is that's our calling, that's our passion, and that calling comes from Jesus. And so uh, today's question, I think, is a really good one. Um, But before I get rolling on it, I want to also share with you that if you do like what you're hearing today, uh, if you can... Uh, follow or share it with somebody, that would be awesome um, and would spread that word of God and that help of making disciples, which is what we're here for. But the question that is posed today is, what is conversion? I think it's a really good one because, man, there's so much here to navigate. You have questions of baptism, questions of the so-called sinner's prayer, um, am I really saved? Are you really saved? And, and so there's a lot of questions pertaining to this one, I think. Yeah. Well, I think it's one that within Christianity, you'll see different answers, even within the same denomination, just different takes or like slight language use. I think that's a big part of it. And for a lot of people, it's pertinent because, um, in the, you know, the simplest form conversion is becoming Christian. And so, um, it's pretty pertinent to any Christian of, how do I become Christian? Have I become Christian? How do other people become Christian? Um, what should I think about that? What should I look to? And so it kind of touches every, you know, the internal part of a Christian's life. Absolutely. And so PJ, let's just start with the question. What is conversion? Yeah. So I gave a, a basic kind of simple answer of becoming Christian. I guess another way that scripture talks about it is moving from death to life. And so um, we believe that um, because of the fall, all of us are born spiritually dead, that our Hearts are disconnected from God. We don't have the faith and trust in him that we should. And so conversion is that um, transition, that change from being in a state of spiritually deprived and dead to spiritually alive, trusting in God, knowing him and his son Jesus, um, believing in him, and all that comes with. Scripture uses a lot of different pictures, a lot of different language, but that's generally the gist of what it is. It's to become Christian, to start believing, to trust in God from a state of not believing. And would you say like Ephesians chapter two kind of describes this a bit when it says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Yeah. And then it goes on to talk about the good news. Exactly. Like the, we are, you were dead. And the funny thing about a dead person is a dead person can't make themselves alive. You know, somebody else has to revive them and bring life. And uh, so yeah, that's Paul uses that in Ephesians to describe you're, you're as good as a corpse on the floor. And yet God in his grace has come and has brought you to life. And so now you have, and this will, Paul will use this in like Romans and talk about how you were dead to sin. Uh, but now that you're alive to, you know, buried it with Christ, you're now living a new life with him. And so we get to walk in the newness of life. So it's worse than the bondage of the will. Yeah. Like you're, it's, it's like your will's dead. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, <laughs> when we talk about like whether you can choose Jesus and this is maybe not the route we were planning on going, but um, you know, the, the long-term Lutheran answer and Christian answer, we believe, has been that not only 
can you not choose God on your own without his help and his grace first, but you won't choose him. Your heart will always choose yourself. It always choose idols of your own making in this world. Um, as you know, the Old Testament talks about uh, things carved by human hands. Um, we'll put our faith and trust in that. We will always choose that unless God first acts upon us. He did so in the sending of Jesus and he does so in our own life through his proclamation of what he's done through baptism, gifts like that. So it's not that we're saying you shouldn't believe in Jesus. If you're considering it, you should. However, if you do get to that point, it's the power of the Holy spirit that brought you there and it will cause you to marvel at the grace of God in your life even more because you know that his grace really worked in your life. And so, all right. And so also I think we do have to also bring in baptism into this equation. I think because baptism has been abused in the Christian church historically and at times at different points in church history, I think that there's different uh, denominations who have just said it's an outward sign of an inward change. It's no, it's not, it's no longer should be believed as something that accomplishes something in terms of what we're talking about spiritually. However, if you were just to look at the New Testament, does baptism have any relationship to conversion? Oh, definitely. And this is where, um, you know, when you look at Pentecost, so that's the birth of the church, Jesus has ascended, his uh, apostles are waiting um, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes down, Christian church is born, Peter gives this rousing sermon, talks all about God and his work and ascending of his son Jesus and um, the resurrection. And then the response by the crowd is, all right, it says they're cut to the heart. So they're moved. They, they realize, oh, geez, this matters. And they ask, brothers, what do we do? And Peter responds, uh, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. So turn to God, turn away from your other loves, your other sins, turn to God and then be baptized. And that baptism is that regeneration. Paul will talk to this uh, like this in Titus, where he talks about um, being washed by the waters of regeneration. Titus 3, um, you have all sorts of language. And actually, I referenced it earlier, but when Paul in Romans um, chapter 6 talks about being buried, he's specifically talking about baptism, that it's in baptism that God, you can picture when Jesus has that tomb rolled up, like you are buried in there with him, but being baptized, you also are then born again into a newness of life. And so, um, and actually there's a million examples, but Jesus to Nicodemus and uh, John 3 as well, whoever's born of um, water and the spirit. So to be born of the water baptism, receiving the Holy Spirit is this new life that you've now been given. Okay, very good. Very strong uh, Bible passages there. And what you see, I think, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter says, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, is he is now differentiating Christian baptism from John's baptism. So John's baptism, there was no Holy Spirit yet that was poured out. We don't talk about that enough. We conflate those two a lot. Those are two different baptisms. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then the Holy Spirit is promised to come uh, when you are baptized, according to Acts chapter 2, 38. And then that's what you see happening throughout the book of Acts, um, except for, I think, in Acts chapter 8, there's an anomaly and the apostles need to go to Samaria and lay their hands on those who have been baptized so that they would receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But in the New Testament, you see those two together, the Christian baptism and the Holy Spirit. Also, you mentioned Titus 3, 5, and I think that's very interesting because it does say the washing of regeneration. The only washing that we have in the New Testament is with water. Yeah. And Ephesians 5 says it's a washing with water with the word. Yep. 
Um, so Peter, or rather Paul interprets himself and says, this is a washing with water I'm talking about here. And so it, now I think it, it challenges our presuppositions. So if your presuppositions are that uh, material things can't do anything, well, I think the New Testament's going to challenge that because it's saying that, and you reference Romans 6, you were buried by baptism. It uses that word. And I think I remember reading Thomas Schreiner, who doesn't believe that the Holy Spirit comes in Christian baptism. I remember in his commentary on Romans 6, he was having trouble with it. Really? <laughs> I do remember that. And I was like, we got him. See here. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, we still love Thomas Schreiner, great man of God. Well, I'll just say this too. This is not a new phenomenon. Like the, the general throughout church history, the church understood baptism as doing something. Um, this is why some people went so far, and I don't recommend this, and the church didn't hold on to this practice, but you had a handful of people in church history, they didn't want to get baptized until they were about to die because they said, this is going to wash me of everything. I want to wait, make sure I get it all behind me. Um, <laughs> now, we that was not the practice, the norm. It was a few weird cases. But that just shows you what they were hearing from baptism is baptism changes you. It cleans you. It, it mm-hmm. completely brings you new life. And so there's people who are like, well, then I want to get all my, you know, I'm going to sin, so I'll get it all the way. And then get it cleaned off on the back. And of course that was Tertullian, the second century church father, very close to apostolic times. And unanimously the early church did believe in baptismal regeneration. Yeah. I think there's really no one that disputed that um, at the time that I'm aware of either. Um, But nevertheless, okay. I think you did a great job answering what is conversion. I think the next question is PJ is, do I need conversion? So if you're listening, you may think, well, do I need conversion? Um, and does one know if they are a Christian or not? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, first off, I mean, everyone is who believe, who is a Christian is converted at some point. So that's just, you know, the question of whether you need it period or whether you need it now is probably a okay distinction. So every Christian at some point is going to be converted from that spiritually dead state to a living state. Um, so then the, the question, I think what you're getting at is, do I need to be converted now? And that is one where you can, you know, it, you just hear that, right? Especially when we talk about conversion, like, oh, do I need to have, um, do I need to experience something? Do I need to read something? Do I need to do something? Um, maybe even like, hey, I, I believe in Jesus, but I've never been baptized. You know, am I saved? Am I converted? It's a good question. Um, and here's where the, the beautiful thing is that um, God always works in the general same way. He works through uh, his word, so his promises, the his son Jesus, who is his word. Um, so you can read scripture, somebody tells you about it. I mean, for most of us, we learn about Jesus from a parent or a friend, or we read a book, or we heard a sermon somewhere. You know, something happened where we heard the word, um, and then he works through his gifts we call the sacraments, and baptism being the big quote-unquote conversion one. And so um, they're not necessarily needed to be removed, and everyone's experience is a little differently. So somebody could hear the news of Jesus, believe, and then go get baptized. Now, were they not saved in that gap between hearing and believing and being baptized? Well, no, they, they believed in Jesus. And yet part of that whole process, part of being brought into the family of God is that baptism too. Um, and so all of that is to say, um, when we talk about, do you need to be converted? We don't want to ever put forth, like, here's the checklist of one, two, three, four, five. It needs to go in this order. And you need to have known this and heard this mm-hmm. and experienced this and done this in one particular order to be saved. And if you haven't go back and restart and, you know, go back to go and um, try again. Um, the better question is, am I saved? And so that question leads me to say like, all right, well, what do I, what do I hang my hat on? Who, I, who do I trust? 
Am I trusting Jesus? Am I trusting God? Um, and specifically, what am I trusting about him? And that's where baptism is beautiful because if I ever doubt, you know, if I lost God's favor, well, I can always go back to, he promised me when I was baptized that he would never leave me nor forsake me. You know, when Jesus institutes baptism at the Great Commission, he says, lo, I'm with you till the end of the age. He's with me. I'm saved because he told me so. And so those are the kind of questions we start by asking, am I saved? Not necessarily have I had a certain quote unquote conversion. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, Andrew? Absolutely. Absolutely. This is very good. And I think that what we want to always do is point people outside of themselves. Yeah. Extra nos is a phrase that means outside of oneself. PJ's smiling because Flame, our favorite rapper, um, uh, described his new album as Extra Nos, correct? Yeah, his album and his book both have the title. And his book, which I highly recommend. If you're out there, Flame wrote a great book called Extra Nos. If you want to learn more about uh, his conversion or... Um, experience coming to the Lutheran faith from the reformed tradition. Yeah. Um, and, and I think some of the theological distinctions we're making are rele- relevant to those two traditions. Um, but yes, we want to point people to look outside of themselves. Um, also, I would add that um, if you are practicing repentance and faith in Jesus, mm. you know, you're a Christian. Yeah. Um, if you are rejecting repentance and rejecting your faith, then I would say pastorally, I would call you to repentance and faith. Um, and I, I would also share this with those who might be um, in a similar position as I was. So I was baptized as a baby. I believe that I received the grace of God at that point because the, that uh, experience is all about God's promises and God's word. I was baptized with water and the promises of the triune God. So I believe it was a valid baptism, not because of my state of cognition or understanding or how great of, or where I was at in my life at that point, but God's promises depend on his promises. Yeah. However, I would say due to a lack of nourishment uh, in my just experience with the faith, I believe that about middle school or high school, I fell from faith. So also what I'm saying there could be controversial, but it's also uh, very biblical in that just as a physical baby needs nourishment or else it could die, we also need spiritual nourishment post-baptism or we can die too. Um, And so what ended up happening with me is that my faith became dead. James says, faith, if it does not have action, is dead. And I think that that described my life in middle school, high school. Um, I, had no, uh, I had no faith. I had no understanding. Um, I was walking in rebellion, living in rebellion against uh, Jesus. Um, there was nothing about my lifestyle that said, I'm a Christian. And I knew it. So I was, I was self-aware of it. However, there was a wake-up call when I was 19 that God gave me. And uh, God woke me up to my sin. God woke me up to how lost I was. And he drew me to a men's group in college where I heard the gospel that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And in that time frame, as I was hearing the gospel of John in that men's group, I was brought to faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit brought me to that point. I remember marking that moment with the prayer 
and asking God to have mercy on me. Mm-hmm. I remember repenting of my sin and returning to the promises of my baptism, which I previously had abandoned. Uh, but God certainly drew me back to himself. Now, this may be controversial because maybe some people will say, well, you can't lose your salvation. However, I would submit to you that if we just kind of read the New Testament for what it says, we take out those paradigms um, and we, we remove our own personal fears. Every about Just about every book in the New Testament warns about falling from your faith. Yeah. And it's not talking about a faith you never really had. No. It's talking about a faith you did once have. A great example is, I believe, Hymenaeus in 1 Timothy 1, who made shipwreck of his faith. Mm. Paul's not saying that this was like a hypothetical faith that he thought he had. He's saying, no, this guy used to really be a believer, and now he's not. Yeah. And he's warning us. So the, the warnings of the New Testament make zero sense if you can't lose your faith because it's warning us against that fact. And so I had a conversion experience when I was 19. And for some people, they do need to have it because they need a reawakening. Yeah. Well, I think that tracks well with, you know, one of the most well-known parables is the prodigal son. And so you have the son who belongs to his father's household, right? So, and this is a picture for God and his people. So he's, he's in the faith. He's in, he's in the family. And he forsakes his father, says, basically, I wish you were dead. Give me the money and go. Runs off and lives like the world. Um, and then he has an wake-up call. It's when he's when he's looking at pig slop and he says, you know, I'm so hungry. That looks pretty good. And he, he's kind of shook awake by what in the world have I done? And he goes back and in a repentant state of like, hey, I won't even ask to be a son anymore. I'll just ask to be a servant. And the father runs out and embraces him and... Um, you know, throws a big party because he says, you know, my son who was dead is now alive. And so you have this picture of somebody who belonged to the family, who was part of it, right? So like a Christian who believed, who walked away, went and lived in a worldly way, um, forsaking his father, and then was reawakened and came back. And I think what's key about what you pointed out too is, you know, the love that that father had for the son never waned. And he didn't have to like readopt him. It wasn't like, hey, you know, you left me, so we need to go fill out some paperwork. No, like you, you were always my son. You were, you were my son. You left, basically left the family, but now you're back. Um, and that's why also, you know, we don't have to rebaptize. I love how you described um, your story and thank you for sharing kind of your own um, very personal conversion story. Um, because for you, those promises God made when you were baptized still stood. You had left them. You were spiritually dead. And yet you came back and God said, great. You know those promises I made? They're there. They're still yours. And uh, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful picture. And that's really the story of all of scripture. You know, you have Israel, God's people. His, he calls them his children, his firstborn. They leave. They forsake him. They go for other gods. He brings them back and, and so on. So it's not like it's um, it's not shocking to scripture to have this picture of God's own people wandering, leaving, becoming lost, dying, and then coming back, being brought back, repenting, and so on. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, PJ. And so hopefully that was helpful um, to you. But I think uh, many of you who are listening are believers already. And what I would say then, the next question is, what about those around me? Are they Christians and do they need a conversion experience? And I think that's where I think this podcast could be very helpful. And I guess I will start and I'll let you piggyback, PJ, is... Jesus says these words about, as we look at others, you can tell a tree by its fruit. So, you know, if you're a Christian, 
how do you know if someone else is a Christian or not? <coughs> I think what you can do is check out their words and their behavior. Number one, what are they saying? Jesus is out of the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks. You can tell what somebody cares about pretty quick. If you hear what they talk about. Yeah. Um, and then also look at their behavior. Does their behavior, does their lifestyle look like a Christian? That's actually what we go by. When, and, and I hope this helps. James ch- chapter 2, when he says that we're justified by works, that's actually for you as you observe others. James is saying you show yourself before men or before women to be righteous by your actions. So as you're observing others, you can get clues. And with that said, I would qualify this very much with, um, it's not about how much the people around you sin, because <laughs> otherwise we're all doomed, uh, but rather it's about how they deal with their sin. Are they repentant? Are they contrite? Do they seek repentance? Do they know their need for God's grace? That's a huge sign as you minister to others and as you care for others. I think if there's people out there that just don't care about God's grace, they don't care about repentance, they don't care what God's word said, I would say pastorally I am concerned. And then you would want to call them to return to their baptism if they've already been baptized or simply to to turn away from that thinking. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's a good distinction. I like how you um, brought that up, just the observation point. And I think, you know, for most people, they're going to probably identify, you know, especially if you have a relationship. I don't walk around my neighborhood and I don't see the the lady walking her two dogs and wonder, like, is she a Christian? Like, I'm not analyzing her. And yet, as I have a relationship with my neighbors, my friends, my family, um, that's usually when you're going to sometimes have those kind of, you're just going to observe, you know. And if I have a... a a family member who says they're Christian and yet they don't appear to be living a Christian life. Uh, well, first off, I'm going to probably know if they profess to be a Christian. And if I don't, I should really consider what, what I spend my time talking to loved ones about. You know, not that every topic has to be a Bible study, but um, if you have a close relationship to somebody and they don't know you're Christian or you don't know they're Christian or not, um, I mean, how close are you if the most important foundational part of your life is hidden from them, you know, or vice versa? Um, not that you didn't need to go to everyone today and text, hey, are you Christian? But just what do you talk about? Um, it's a call to myself too. Um, but then, you know, if you have somebody who says they're Christian, you have concerns about how they're living, then you, as a Christian, out of love, can come up to them and say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm worried about what you're doing. I, I worry that this is hurting your relationship with God. And like, that's where I think what you brought up, Andrew, is so key is and how do they respond to that? Um, because if out of a Christian, it is the loving thing to do sometimes after I've pulled the log out of my eye to go to my brother and say, Hey, I see that speck in there. I just want to check on you. Are you okay? I'm fully acknowledging that I'm a sinner too. This is not me high and mighty. This is me out of concern and love for you. And if their response is, uh, I don't really care, you know, screw God, whatever. Um, then maybe they don't, you know, believe And that. Then there's a different conversation than if you have somebody who's, you know what? I know I've really tried to stop this, but I, I'm really struggling. Well, there's somebody with faith. There's somebody who's repenting and, and in the battle and in the fight. So um, a lot of it just is if you have people in your life and you know that they identify as Christian, then you should have no qualms going up to them as a Christian brother or sister and just out of concern saying, hey, I, I just want to ask you about this. I, maybe don't even make assumptions. 
tell me like just from the outside looking here's what it looks like and i just as a christian brother sister want to help you and then um, their response is going to tell you a lot about um, what's actually going on in their heart absolutely and i think that i love what you what you're saying pj because the worst thing we can do is have a lot of i would consider false conversions or people that think that they're in when they're not and man, we would be doing a significant disservice to people's lives if they thought that they were a Christian, but they really weren't. And no one uh, ever challenged them. No one ever corrected them. No one ever spoke the truth and love to them. And so um, this is important. Some people in your life may need to have uh, an experience where they turn from sin and return to Jesus in a significant way. Um, and I think it's important that we say that. And then of course, with that said, our goal here is not to be going around as the conversion police, <laughs> yeah. but rather, uh, you know, we're in relationship. We love people. Um, and when you get in relationship with people, stuff comes up and you want to be invitational, uh, when necessary. And then in closing, I do want to say this, this is not all about did you have a conversion experience back in the day? But rather, I think the New Testament is much more interested in, are you continuously repenting today? Yeah. Where are you at now? We can, you know, get into this and start to say, well, did you ever have that experience where you went through these motions in your life? Um, I think scripture would, would direct us more towards present day holiness, present day repentance, rather than just one time you, you did something or you experienced something. Yeah. I, uh, I'm reading a book right now and the author talks about um, how in baptism you drown the old Adam, which is the Bible's way of talking about our, our sinful nature, that um, part of us, that depraved part. And uh, the author says, though, the problem is that the old Adam's a pretty good swimmer, and so he'll keep trying to kick back up. And so it is a daily part of our life to turn from sin, to turn from our own sinful flesh, our own desires, push that old Adam and back Adam back down until the last day when he's finally defeated um, in Christ. But um, it is a daily occurrence. And that is a, a better litmus test than, again, have I had a certain experience? Because um, for some of our listeners, you know, you probably don't have one specific moment you can point to. I, I told Pastor Andrew before we got on the um, podcast, you know, I don't have any day moment I can point to and say, oh, that's when things changed for me. Um, some people you don't believe. And then all of a sudden you maybe go to church with a friend for a while. And then all of a sudden you look back like, huh, I guess I do believe. So everyone's experience can look a little different, um, but it ultimately is still based on hearing God's word, being baptized, and then daily repenting of our sin and turning back to God once again. Um, and it's just kind of a constant life of, of that repentance and um, living in his grace. My wife's a lot like you, PJ, that she grew up with great nourishment in the, in the faith. And so you guys don't necessarily have like this one moment of time. Um, and I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, so with that said, if you were blessed by today's podcast, we'd encourage you to share it with somebody who you think might also be blessed. Uh, we invite more of your questions. You could submit those to hello at sjdenver.org. We appreciate your encouragement and have a nice day and we'll see you next time.